I think maybe we don't talk about it enough that, you know, speed, it's oftentimes framed as something positive. Oh, you get there, you know, with, with fast and um, because, you know, time is money or, or whatever. But at the same time, if you have your speed, it, it always means that somebody else has less opportunities. The other uh, needs to take more time or is completely turned off of, of using these facilities. And that is exactly the opposite of what we want. Hey everyone, welcome to the Active Tennis Channel. I'm John Zimmerman, and that is Angela Vanderkloof from MobyCon in the Netherlands. We're gonna be talking about a variety of different topics, but uh, really kind of centered around creating more inviting places for people to ride and trying to de-emphasize uh, speed as a way that we sort of evaluate and name uh, our cycle routes. So let's get right to it with Angela, enjoy. Well, Angela, thank you so much for joining me on the Active Towns podcast. Welcome. Yeah, thank you, John, and I'm happy to be here. So do me a favor, uh, share with the audience uh, who you are. So, yeah, I'm Angela van der Kloof. I live in the Netherlands in a city called Tilburg in the south. It's yeah, a city with 200,000 inhabitants. We'll, we'll talk more about that later on. I work as a consultant at uh, MobiCon and um, yeah, I focus on projects involved in cycling. So I advise uh, authorities in the Netherlands and abroad about cycling topics. Fantastic. So, and, and you grew up in, in Tilburg, right? Uh, no, I did not. Oh, you didn't? <laughs> I, okay. <laughs> I uh, grew up in a small town even further south uh, okay. at the border with Belgium. Ah. Uh, it's called Zundert and it's actually the birthplace of famous painter Vincent van Gogh. Ah, um, okay. I yeah. see, down here. Nice. Exactly, exactly. Okay. And, and um, you sent me this map. What is this map? Well, this is the map of the route that I had to take to school um, okay. when I turned 12. I, like many children in, in that town, uh, you know, if you wanted to go to a certain level of education, it was not available there. Okay. So we had to cycle 15 kilometers to school in the morning and 15 kilometers back. And wow. at the time, yeah, at the time, you know, we never questioned this. We just, you know, did this and we never talked about it, basically. Yeah. And it so was why did your parents much, hate you so much? Why were they torturing you? <laughs> well, that's what we thought sometimes, but uh, <laughs> later on, I, I realized that uh, somehow uh, having this time between, you know, the end of the school day and then coming home and all this time for yourself, of course, we had to pedal, but we had all this freedom to basically do what we wanted, uh, to chat with friends to, I don't know, yeah, to meet other people, etc. So it was also a way for me to refresh my head. And I did not particularly like it too much <laughs> at, at that school. So it yeah. was a good way to get rid of uh, the, yeah. the negative energy, uh, I guess. And, wow. and yeah, and you, you did pull up that, that image of, of that road yeah and so you know we would typically we would typically be um collecting all together at at a spot in the village at the edge and then start cycling together in the morning in a big group yeah and you you just go with the flow and we cycled on this parallel road and um so this there's a parallel road on both sides of yeah, the road for through traffic. So it was sometimes agricultural vehicle or something, but it was quite safe. Yeah. And what's interesting, too, is this is just a random spot that I chose along your route. And you're absolutely right. You know, look at you've got your, your roadway there and you've got your side path and... We've got somebody who got captured, you know, on bike, you know, 
doing that, but this was your route. I mean, and I can just imagine you with a little posse of your, your schoolmates just chatting and socializing and, and making your way to school. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and as we turned a bit older, then of course, sometimes we were too late at school in the morning. And so our favorite excuse uh, for being late was that we had a flat tire. And then we had this whole conversation, this whole uh, story that we, you know, we had to (laughs) ring the bell of somebody's house and they helped us (laughs) repair the tire. That's why we're late. Yeah, yeah, that's that's right. Now, uh, approximately what years were those when you were making that journey? (laughs) Yeah, so that was uh, 1980 when I started taking uh, that route. So so this was also in the period where, yeah, there was more attention in the Netherlands on safer uh, traffic. Yeah, beginning in the 70s, we started to see the demonstrations in the Netherlands, and that's what uh, some of these images are are starting to touch pace on. Yeah, indeed. And of course, at the time, I I had no idea that this was happening, really. It was a small town in the south of the country. Yeah. I I had no idea that these protests were happening, uh, et cetera. But then... In 1985, I started to study in Tilburg. And actually, that was the city in the Netherlands with the first one of the first pilots of our national ministry to to build a demonstration route. And so this route, it was it was opened in 1977, the first part of it. They called it the, that's what I really like about this. They called it the Tof Route, mm-hmm. Tilburg op de fiets, which means it has two meanings. It means Tilburg on the bike, right? but also the abbreviation Tof, it means cool or great. So it was a great route for people to be on. And I, I really like that. Yeah. And at the same time, uh, this route, it was also the first red cycle track in the in the Netherlands. And so in the city, people just called it the red cycle path. Wow. Um, and at the time, that was the, the, it was red pavers, correct? Probably. Or was it, yeah, I think if I think if I remember. Well, I'm, not, I'm not sure. Yeah. Because we, by we'll this time, this is, this is from the mid 90s. This yeah. is 95, then there are, you're already yeah. using uh, the red asphalt in there. I think if I remember some historic photos, this is not going to yeah, help us with that. Yeah, these are all tiles, the, yeah, the yeah. previous picture, for sure. Yeah. And and for me, as a new student, young woman in the city, not knowing my way, it was great to have this spine through the city that really made it easier for me to to find my way around because I always knew if I follow this, I either end up in the, at the university or I end up in the city center. <laughs> so I'll, I will know where I am. And, and what's um, interesting about that too is you're, you're just being a kid, you're just being a student. You're you're now you're in, in university and 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 you're studying and you're you're using the facilities. You're not thinking about 20 years ago or 10 years ago or 15 years ago, the demonstrations that were taking place necessarily, but you're benefiting from that original pilot that took place. But now it's, uh, you know, by this point in time, it's, it's been developed uh, quite a bit more. And, but then you started to have like an eye-opening moment, correct? In terms of like understanding cycling and its role in freedom and mobility. That's correct, because at some point I was bored of only reading books uh, and I wanted to do something in my city. So I, I stumbled upon uh, this advertisement for volunteers uh, to teach women to ride bikes. And I thought, oh, that's that's fun. That's something for me. And so, I yeah, I started to teach women with all kinds of backgrounds to cycle. And over time, you know, we produced a video of how we teach women to ride. Uh, that's the one you had. Uh, yeah, that's this one here. Yeah. This one. So, yeah, this is a, a snapshot of that 
15-minute video we produced to show others in the Netherlands how we teach women to ride. And it's about creating very small steps and and each step they learn, it's a success. So you really use also the learning to cycle as an empowerment tool for groups yeah, in the city that often don't have access to services or don't have a lot of opportunities in terms of education or, or work. And yeah, so it was a really yeah, successful project that over time became a bike school uh, in the city with, with classes in, in different uh, neighborhoods. And so from there, I also started to teach others how to teach people to ride bikes and yeah, do it in this style that really empowers people. And for myself, it was really a, a period when I started to reflect on my own situation and how, how I had learned to cycle or, you know, having had this experience of riding 15 kilometers to school and back and not even thinking about it. Yeah. And then meeting women, you know, who have uh, responsibilities in their households and yeah, are super scared to learn to cycle because, you know, they don't want to break a leg and, and then their whole family will be in trouble. And they have all these barriers that are oftentimes like emotional and, and psychological barriers of, of people saying, oh, yeah, cycling is not for you. Cycling is for men and maybe little girls, but definitely not adult women. Yeah. Yeah. So I really learned a lot about my own cycling culture by this encounter with yeah. people for whom it's totally different. Very, very interesting. What a, what a fabulous story, too. And I was aware of these types of programs for several years, really, because I know there's a famous one in the, the Amsterdam area that got a lot of attention in the last you know, five to seven years, maybe 10 years, that's teaching you know, women especially immigrant women, people who cycling wasn't necessarily part of their culture, which is your whole point is they don't have those skills. And so it, it is a huge step. It is a huge increase in terms of, of empowerment and ability and freedom to be able to understand how to get around by bike. And sometimes there's cultural barriers that need to be dealt with as well as just fear of I didn't grow up with a bike, so I have to be able to, to get over that. So that's absolutely beautiful. I had no idea that that a plan or a program like this existed uh, those many years ago. Not that long ago. But yeah, anyway. yeah, they, they started. <laughs> the, the earliest ones I know are in the late 1980s. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. That's great. So. Then well, fill in the gap here. So so that got you sort of tuned in and inspired about, oh, this Dutch cycling culture thing is kind of cool and kind of different. And not everybody understands it. Not everybody even knows. So walk us through what was that next step in, in that in your journey? Yeah, I'll, I'll try to be a little <laughs> a little <laughs> short on that, but an important milestone or stepping stone, I would say, uh, for that is the fact that I had the opportunity to attend a VeloCity conference uh, back in the year 2000. It was held in Amsterdam. And I mean, I had no idea such a thing existed because I, I was not really involved in cycling advocacy. Right. But I met a German woman uh, at some point, uh, she's also she was also a geographer, and we were in this meeting about bicycle parking in my city, mm-hmm. and we were the only two women. So of course we, uh, you know, we got to chat, and she said, "Oh, you're doing such interesting work. Why don't you present at this conference?" And I was like, right. "Yeah, that will be fun, but I have no idea how this works." Yeah. So she helped me come up with some kind of abstract and connect with the Dutch Cyclist Union. Okay. Um, yeah, and they they managed to get me into the program. So that is where I started to meet, I would say, so people with also other cultural backgrounds, but who were really into cycling. And that was another, yeah, opportunity to learn about different ways of doing things and 
to learn more about, oh, everybody loves the Dutch cycling. So maybe, yeah, we have something to offer there. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it was, again, this interaction that was so much inspiration for me. Right. Um, because you you hadn't heard that these, these uh, courses, bicycle lessons were done so early on. Yeah. But actually, a lot of Dutch people also didn't really know. Um, right, so I right. had very little people to kind of uh, get my inspiration from, apart from the groups of people I trained, of course. And then at one of these conferences, so I, I started to attend more of these conferences because I really liked being with like-minded people. And so I got this idea to set up a program and you, you pulled up some images here of like a buddy system for women who had just learned to cycle together with women who could already cycle. And it was called in Dutch, it was called Fietsvriendinnen, yeah. which translates as cycle friends. Cycle friends, and was, yeah. Yeah. And it was a really interesting project and, and also... It was also a time where I started to learn more about a lot of the politics behind cycling and then also this intersection of uh, not just the politics of cycling, but also the politics of working with people with other cultural uh, backgrounds, uh, with migrants, with refugees, etc. So that was, yeah, a really interesting way to understand that better and to develop my thinking um, about, okay, how do I tell the story? And what is the importance of showing positive images? Uh, I was really always looking to create positive, like this photo. I think it's a very positive photo just because people are smiling and there's children there. The environment is not necessarily very inviting or something. And what I saw in the newspapers or or in magazines was if if they talked about migrants or refugees it wasn't always so positive and images were typically trying to create this negative atmosphere so i really wanted to to change that and over time i started to understand more and more how important storytelling is and it is to find the right words to say what you want to communicate really and to think about Okay, what is it really that I want to say? And if I say it in a certain way, how do people then receive this message? Right. right. And, you know, and that's what we're all about here on the Active Towns channel is trying to uh, profile the positive stories that are out there and tell these in, in a uh, in a very approachable way to really articulate what's possible out there and and, and do so in a very, very inclusive way. And, uh, and, and clearly you kept going to conferences because here you are on the stage in Scotland. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's an example of yeah me on this stage and and also for for many of my friends and and family it can be hard to understand that with with the topic that I want to talk about <laughs> then I get you know a spotlight and a stage and people like to hear these stories about cycling in the netherlands but because for them you know they they just do it and that is the interesting thing about it and that interaction with you know my my friends and family that is also important to me to kind of always be aware that that it's good to not keep yourself in some kind of cycling bubble, uh, so to speak, to understand that it is all relative. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, I'm going to give your voice a rest, and uh, we're going to play a little clip from uh, the video that really prompted us to schedule this, this recording session. About a cycling highway or fast cycle route is, is problematic because it triggers emotions, uh, negative emotions. You don't want that in your neighborhood and you don't want your children to ride on their bikes on a, on a highway. 
you would rather want it to be something meaningful and yeah not so much putting speed at the core but putting you know the the positive aspects at the core of the name i think that is important so that's one of the trends that we're seeing is obviously the development not just in the netherlands but in other locations as well is creating faster routes they call them sometimes they call them cycle highways and this video really takes exception with that term calling it a cycle highway expand upon that just a little bit more yeah so well i it, it links with what i said earlier that i've i've learned that it is important to think about your story and and what you want to achieve and when i hear yeah fast cycle routes as it's now being translated into english oftentimes or or a cycling highway then what sticks is fast and it is about speed. And it, it's, so it's not just this name, but also the way they organize wayfinding, etc. And so it's very much connected to utility and efficiency, but actually you want it to be uh, something, yeah, meaningful and something positive, like what, a, that's why I like the pilot project in, in Tilburg that I mentioned earlier, the tough route, you know, the cool route, the great route. That, that's really a game changer uh, in, in your uh, city or, or town. And so do you want to brand cycling as, you know, the most speedy or the fastest way to get somewhere? I think if, if that is your story, then it's a hard sell because if you really want to go fast, you take a car. Right. And it is not the inherent quality of what cycling is. Cycling is not inherently about speed. Yeah. And you can see in this image here with this little image here that you mentioned the even the naming, the nomenclature. And so you see the the, the sign here on the pole, yeah. uh, you know, so you've, you've got the. So that's part of it, and and the reason why they're 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 named the way they are is the F is is referencing feats or bike, and then it, it's the number is almost always somehow related to uh, an an A route, an automobile route as well. So exactly. ev even the naming of them is not the as fun as the cool way. <laughs> it's more very very uh, uh, car brained naming nomenclature. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and and so interestingly enough, when they started to talk about this fast cycle route in this area, the one from Tilburg to Waalwijk, mm -hmm. at first they started they talked about the Hart van Brabant route, so the Heart of Brabant route, which is yeah. Hart van Brabant is the name of the region. I mean, I could relate to that somehow, and Hart, yep. you know, it's. It also can inspire a nice logo or, well, you know, something positive. Yeah. Uh, but then F261, I don't drive very much and I'm very, not very good with numbers. So at first yeah. I didn't even know where this number came from. Yeah, um, yeah, but yeah. I'm, I'm sure it, you know, I'm sure there are people who drive cars who, who can relate to it and whom it may be helpful for. But yeah, I don't know. Also within the city, it's, it's quite, you don't, yeah, that's I think also my, my point. If you want to connect towns and cities to each other and then in a, in a fast way, maybe I can imagine that. But this route, it starts at our train station. That's a busy place. Yeah, so why why start a highway or a fast route in the middle of a, a busy place and not at the edge of the city or something and and still i don't want to be only negative about this because right yeah you yeah. know the way they the way they they look it's not necessarily bad and yeah. uh, you know there is a lot of space and you have a lot of junctions where you have the right of way and when there's a traffic light you know it will be green in no time and you don't have to stop etc so there are a lot of positives about it and that's why i think it's a pity that we don't focus on these kinds of uh, positives and yeah. and that we ended up being in this 
car thinking that everything yeah, yeah. has to be fast and uh, with the utility. Yeah. And I, in this next segment, I'll go ahead and press play here because you actually start to address, okay, well, who is it we're serving? When planning for these connecting cycle routes or smooth cycle routes or cycle through routes, it is important to think about not just, okay, which places seem logical to, to connect, like on a map, but to really think about who is living there, who is using these uh, spaces, and to make sure that it's not just one de demographic that you're serving, so not just people who live in the outskirts and then have to go to work in the city center, but also making it a meaningful route for people who have shorter trips in their own neighborhood and, and can use parts of that uh, route as well. Or people who would not go to the city center, but to an industrial area or yeah, connecting areas where people live with lower uh, incomes, etc. Yeah, I mean, such good points. And, and I, I think that the, the opportunity that these facilities have for us is, yes, especially with electric assist, you and I were talking about this before we hit the, you know, the record button, is suddenly longer distances, longer trips are very much possible for literally all ages and abilities. And so there, there's some value to, yeah, having, you know, routes where you have, like you said, less friction, less junctions and interactions with motor vehicles and, and other cross traffic. But at the same time, we've got a, an interesting tension now that we start to have in place of how do we handle maybe faster moving bike traffic? mobility and devices with some slower moving and, and, you know, the mixing of people who may be using that same facility for a short trip, like you just mentioned, as well as maybe somebody's coming in off of a 15 to 20 kilometer long trip. So yeah, challenges. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, I mean, in the Netherlands, I think we're, we are in the middle of that process of, of figuring out, what this means and yeah, what could be the way forward. And of, of course, not everybody <laughs> agrees uh, yeah. On, yeah. on how to do that. It's also a lot about, yeah, maybe in some places in the Netherlands, not necessarily somewhere else, you know, it may be better to mix people more instead of all the separated uh, bicycle paths. Uh, but then the speed needs to be low and how do we then design uh, the area and how do we keep that affordable for everyone? Uh, well, for, for the city to, to build that. So it's, it's a big puzzle. Yeah. Yeah. And when we look at the, the images that we see here of, uh, you know, the, the, these different routes here, you labeled this one crisscross. Why is this one labeled crisscross? <laughs> well, because... People are crisscrossing here from from every direction, and it is not it is not um, yeah how to put it. I think on paper it is correct how how they designed it and everything, but people use it differently because it it's not very intuitive, and you I mean you don't want to take a big detour to cross the street or on the on the right side there is a big supermarket, so many people want to go there, yeah. And so if you stand there, it's just, you know, people zooming by. But yeah, I, I was really standing there as, as I took this picture for this podcast and thinking, yeah, so this is the, uh, the fast cycle route in Tilburg in the middle of the city. It makes, to me, it makes no sense to call it a fast cycle route. You, you don't want people to be fast here. You want them to be aware yeah, to interact with each other and make sure that, yeah, everybody, you know, just smoothly gets to where they need to be. So what do we call it? Do we go back to calling it the cool route? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> something like that. 
I, you know, the, the connectedness, obviously, and having, you know, routes to, to be able to connect people to meaningful destinations, you know, is honing in on that. But I, I get your point. And the reason why I am trying to correct my language and not calling them fast cycle routes and not calling them cycle highways, especially not cycle highways, but really, you know, trying to capture or the spirit of in some situations, in some environments, like, you know, in the more uh, rural environment of, you know, part of your journey of getting to school, it may be, yeah, it may be an appropriate, you know, terminology to call that. Yeah, this is a, a direct, safe space. And, and yeah, you, you can go fast on it. But in this type of environment with this crisscross, it, calling it fast may not serve us well. In, in terms of what we're trying to communicate, especially given the differentials, the speed differentials from the different modes that we have out there. We mentioned electric assist bikes. Currently, in many municipalities, even scooters are still allowed in cycle paths. Uh, we'd like to see that sort of stop happening. And by scooters, I mean the mopeds and miniature motorcycles, really, uh, not the stand-up e-scooters that are out there. But yeah, we've got some concerns. Yeah, yeah. And and of course, there are also, you know, people in the Netherlands who are concerned about that and, and not just the, the professionals, but also, yeah. yeah, people who live close to such a fast cycle route, but then their children need to cross it in the morning to go to school. And it, it just means that I mean, normally you would maybe allow them to go to school on their own when they're 10 or sometimes even eight or something. But when there is such a route on that way, you, you wouldn't want that. It's really too, uh, too dangerous. Yeah, I think that's, that's really a pity because at the same time, if you do ride on it, you know, it is very smooth with the green paint on it. It's very recognizable. So if you do want to follow that route, you know, if first of all, you know that there is such a route and then yeah. you do want to follow it, then yeah. it's it's really easy and, and intuitive. So that's that's good about it. But I, I think we need to find a way to to also separate between what's happening within the city mm -hmm. where, you know, children are using this and, and a lot of elderly uh, are using it in the busy hours. And separate that from yeah the more quiet places where it is uh, easier to go full speed. Yeah, yeah, and I think one of the the, the concerns that I have, and I articulated this to you before we hit the record button, is that you know this looks starts to look like oh my gosh this looks like automobile infrastructure, and I'm like oh is that really the direction that we want to be heading? And I get, I get why I understand the pra pragmatic and practicality of, of doing, of making this look the way that it looks right here. But at the same time, I'm a little concerned that like, for instance, you know, you start to see car brain mentality of, you know, I have my lane and I'm in my space and I'm entitled to this space and I want to be able to go quickly uninhibited and darn it, there's there's three girls riding side by side by side up ahead going slowly. How dare they? <laughs> I'm on my fast cycle route. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, also probably with that dividing uh, line in the, in the middle. I mean, in, in the Netherlands, yeah. in many places uh, where we want cars to slow down, we started to remove these markings in the middle. Yes, but now cyclists exactly. uh, get their markings uh, for some reason. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and so the the image of this is is really different from the image of the yeah what this first continuous cycleway, the red cycle path in in yeah. Tilburg looked like or or looks like uh, nowadays. There's no yeah. markings on on that direct continuous cycleway. Yeah. And this is the image that concerns me the most, is that in those municipalities where scooters are still allowed to be on the cycle paths, they're going to jump on the fast cycle routes 
uh, because they're going to know that there's even less friction of, you know, the, the, the side routes and whatnot. And, and that will encourage them to go even faster and be even mm-hmm. more aggressive. So. Yeah. yeah. Well, not, not just the, the, the scooters. It's also typically the, you know, the people on these fast bikes uh, delivering pizza or delivering groceries, etc. There, Which we want them to do. Yeah, yeah, we want that. And, but they are yes. all very young people and they have no idea how much they scare others off. Because right. I think maybe we don't talk about it enough that you know, speed, it's oftentimes framed as something positive. Oh, you get there, you know, with, with fast and um, because, you know, time is money or, or whatever. But at the same time, if you have your speed, it, it always means that somebody else has less opportunities. The other needs to take more time or is completely turned off of, of using these facilities. And that is exactly the opposite of what we want. Yeah, because we do want it to be a safe and inviting environment for everybody, all ages and abilities, which is exactly what this photo, brilliant photo that you you captured, is exemplifying here. We have somebody on a mobility scooter and we have some kids uh, on, you know, in the the cycle path, you know, making their way. And so to your point, we we don't want to then create a situation, a dynamic that starts making this feel too uncomfortable for somebody who may not be as confident of bike rider, as well as somebody who may be on a mobility device. I mean, the whole spirit of why I love the term all ages and abilities is it's all encompassing and we want to create environments that continue to double down on that and exemplify that. Of course, the tension that we addressed earlier is that, well, how do we kind of do both? Is there a way that we can kind of do both? Is that where we kind of lean into the cultural expectations and figuring out how we get along in a space? For instance, just look to the left here in this photo in the, the red brick, you know, paved area there for this residential area that sort of sends a message to the motor vehicle drivers that, hey, this is a shared space and it's brick, it's probably not a through route, you need to go slowly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, and I I think it would be interesting if if more often, for example, some artists were involved in in thinking about these, these things and in thinking about what, how can we make it look positive for, for everyone? and have less stress on, on the fast, the whole idea that it has to be fast. Yeah. I mean, and I've had this criticism of wayfinding apps that, that are out there. So often wayfinding apps are focused only on the fastest route from points A and B, but maybe that's not what I want. Maybe I want the most beautiful route. <laughs> Maybe I don't want the fastest route. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, well, I mean, in the Netherlands, you do have, you know, the option to to follow other routes that, you know, with a wayfinding system. So, I mean, you have options, which, which is great, but sometimes, yeah, recreational routes and this fast cycle route, yeah, in the same space. If it's not busy, that's no problem. Right. But when it's busy, uh, like in the weekends, some some places can be really busy. Yeah, you just yeah. don't want people to speed up. Yeah, yeah. And I and I love this this uh, uh, photo here too because as soon as I said the beautiful route, I, I see the flowering uh, trees here for spring. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I also want to note here that. That this kind of does feel like an appropriate place in some ways for a most fast route because it's not what I would consider the most comfortable route because it is next to more lanes of traffic. If I were if I were seeking a more pleasant route, either either for myself because I just wanted to de-stress and I didn't want to be next to 
noisy motor vehicle polluting uh-huh. traffic, I might choose a parallel route that's that's quieter and less direct, and I'm not in a quote unquote hurry, and and maybe. I know that the trees over there are even more beautiful. Maybe there's a magnolia <laughs> tree over there, which are blooming right yeah. now. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. And and then yeah, you you start looking for you know the Dutch uh, the, the cycle node system with the the, the numbered routes that can really um, that can really help you. Yeah, but typically the fast cycle routes are along highways, car highways. So. It's not necessarily the most pleasant uh, places all the time. Right. Yeah. Now we're seeing some imagery here of what you had alluded to earlier. And that was, you know, that sort of the, the shared space situation. And so we have a feet strut here and we've got the 30 kilometers per hour zone and the expectation that the driver is patient, stays behind the people on the, on the bikes. And so this kind of reinforces what we were talking about is that, yeah, sometimes maybe, maybe this is the direction we head in, but you were very astute in thinking or making the point that this may not be appropriate for all cultures and all cities that are more car dominated around the globe. Yeah. 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 It, I mean, if, if the car volumes are very high and cycling volumes are very low, then it, it can be uh, the wrong step. Uh, to right. take. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But it, it is in many cases, because as we were alluding to earlier in the, the residential areas, um, in many cases, uh, these are the more comfortable routes because of low car volumes and being able to have access to, to some, you know, beautiful surroundings as well. So it all depends on context. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's always uh, always the case. And, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And fantastic. and also, I mean, you also always have to think about okay, if we have uh, a certain amount of dollars, we can only spend yeah. them once. So, what are we spending them on, and how right. you know how do we try to create? yeah, the good for, for as many people as possible. Right. Yeah. So I, I like the, the fact that you included this photo here of an inviting path next to the canal, because when I compare the stratification of the, the previous images that we saw, we saw the images of the, uh, the F numbered, uh, routes and, uh, quote unquote, the fast cycling routes. We need to come up with a new name. We know that, but that's kind of what they're looking at next to the busier streets. Then we saw the shared streets, the fair, the, the, the more the feet strut sort of street. And now we see, you know, this, this particular facility here. And when I think of people who are struggling with seeing how cycling fits into their day-to-day routine, if I give them the option between those those three, they're probably going to choose this one first if it gets them to their meaningful destination, and then probably that fast cycling route second, and then the shared, you know, the feet strut, the shared kind of environment is probably just seems too scary to them given their context uh, of maybe not having that culture of, of cycling and, and, and more an emphasis on going places fast in motor vehicles. I can see that. I can see that point. But at the same time, our cycling network in the Netherlands consists of a mix of all these things. So exactly. if you want to get to places, it is difficult to find a route with only this <laughs> this kind yeah. of facility really you know be uh, lucky or something you know to to have sure. this type of facility on all the yeah the routes that you're taking but i i get your point and and i i think it's important for people who want to get more comfortable oh there is our dog uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I was nice. wondering if this was a wolf that was near the cycle path and you're like. <laughs> no, the, so the, the cycle path that you that you saw, it's kind of feeds in to the cycle, uh, the fast cycle route, as it is called. Right. 
but and it is part of the the network of cycling routes in the city that you uh, had just uh, also put up this image with the lines uh, through the city. And so, because not everybody lives next to a cycling highway, so you always have to get to this particular particular route. And all of it needs to be uh, doable, <laughs> safe and comfortable. And personally, I think that, you know, the, the image that you just saw that feeds into that uh, fast cycle route, it's it's a fine cycle route. There's nothing wrong with that, although there is not the white stripes and there is not the the number for it. But it's it's a fine route. And there are also a lot of pedestrians there and you can walk your dog there without the leash. So that's that's why you saw our dog uh, Sarah there. And it's I think it is much more inviting than than yeah the the fast uh, route and also yeah this one is this is a regular cycling street this is not part of the fast cycle route yeah but it's it's perfect cycling on such a route so i guess that's also the point i want to make like what exactly is it adding to comfortable routes that are there anyway yeah yeah it's a good question. And I think it's, and that's one of the things that I love about the Dutch in general is A, you're willing to experiment and innovate and do things and try things out. Thank goodness they tried it out there in Tilburg all those many years ago uh, because it, it really helped, you know, change the direction and, and obviously a credit to uh, the early pathways and the network that was built in Delft as well, because that's part of the history. Um, but these images too, I mean, the, like you to your point is like, you're, you're cobbling together many different types of infrastructure and pathways and routes to connect people to meaningful destinations. And you're willing to try things, test them, see if they work or not. And if they don't work, change them. And that goes for big projects too. Obviously we've profiled in the past the the canal in Utrecht that got filled in and, and a highway built and then realized that was a tremendous mistake and many people fought that and eventually it, you know, was closed and, and they have restored that to a beautiful canal. A much more people-oriented piece of infrastructure, if you will. <laughs> but so the willingness to test things and see if they truly are working and, and are people oriented, people centered. So, and I don't think that speed needs to be the thing that people are singularly focused with, to your point. No, no, exactly. But I mean, yeah, the, the professionals in the field, there are people who really like this idea of speed, but well, indeed, this this image, uh, you know, when I was walking there uh, last year and I saw this group coming, I was really thinking, oh, I, I need to film this. This makes me so happy. This group of children, uh, you know, they were probably going to sports or, or something in that class. And then together they cycled back to school. And also, yeah, along the canal, then you hear the chit-chatting uh, noise of everyone. It's, it's really cool. And this is not a fast cycle route, uh, this, this road, but it is a cycle path. And it's, it's safe and comfortable and also pretty direct, actually. So, yeah, the only time I ever see Dutch children, students like this wearing high vis is when they're either doing their exams around 11 yeah. or 12 years old or when they're uh, out uh, on a school outing and it's just helping the, the teacher keep track of all all of them. Exactly. <laughs> the only time yeah, I see good, them wearing Good you're mentioning that. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> thanks for that. Yeah. All right, well, let's talk about this slide because I think this is a, a, a very important thing to, to talk about, especially in the context of uh, some of the worldwide and North American uh, statistics. Yeah, oftentimes people also within the Netherlands, but also outside of the Netherlands, are, are not so much aware of what our cycling model split is. And I think it's super interesting that 
uh, we have these reverse, uh, <laughs> what do you call them, uh, reverse uh, images. Um, so if you look at the gender model split, typically in other countries, w women would cycle less than men. But in the Netherlands, women make more trips by bike than men do. And then if you look at the uh, right side of, of that slide, it shows the age model split. And so in other countries, it's typically uh, the middle age uh, people that cycle a lot. But in the Netherlands, it's really the children. I mean, I think the, the, the second row from the bottom, 12 to 17 or maybe a bit more, I imagine, uh, they are our superheroes. And boys and girls almost, almost uh, the same. Well, and what I love about that, can we linger on that for just a moment? What I love about that is that's an indication, too, of just how powerful having that all ages and abilities comprehensive cycle network is beginning, you know, right around 11 years of age. Uh, they really start to expand their horizons. And and thinking back to, to your 15-kilometer trip that you were taking, you know, as, as a student, you know, getting to middle school, you know, this is part of it. And, and that is, I think, one of the biggest opportunities that communities that are more car-dominated around the world are really missing out on because too often... The parents are held hostage as they're carting their kids around to all these different activities that happen between those ages of 11 and 18. <laughs> and so this is yeah. huge. I love I, I love seeing this, but I also love yeah. seeing what I, where I think you're also going, which is a steady rise in the number of and the modal shift of people riding as they get into their older years. Yes, but let's also what you mentioned, you said, you know, parents driving their children to different places by car, etc. Typically, in most cases, it will be the mothers who do that. Exactly. Yes. And so I think in our Western societies, so many mothers get stuck. They have so much on their plate. And then also, you know, this time in the car with the kids, driving them everywhere. It would be such a benefit if there was a way to change that. And that is, of course, it's at the same time, it's also the difficult thing. Because it is oftentimes, especially the moms who are really scared to let go of their children and give them this opportunity to explore the world by themselves and, you know, get into dangerous situations. You can never avoid that completely. So it is really, yeah, we do need a cultural shift uh, there that is not easy, I think. Uh, but but we, we have to talk about that. Also talk about what you gain if you do manage to yeah, bring your children to places by bike when they're young, then at some point they will be able to go places on their own at very low cost. It is healthy for them, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So it is worth the investment of the time that you put into cycling together, rather than being uh, in a car together. And uh, yeah, I don't hear a lot of conversations about that type of gain that you uh, that you you know that mothers could get. And to your point, too, I mean, the mobility language matters. And we talked about that earlier when we were talking about, you know, the mobility language of naming, you know, a, a, a route. And that was a big part of, of of what that video was about, too, is, is don't call it a cycle highway. And and so mobility language matters here, too, in, in understanding that dynamic, the, the gender differences in, 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 in the dynamic of the trips that are being made. You see here, you, you mentioned it briefly, is the trip chaining. There's a lot of additional little trips that oftentimes females are making that aren't getting appreciated and, you know, really leaning into an appreciation for those short trips, the short distances that then add up to 
a nice long day of writing, <laughs> many, many kilometers of writing. But at the same time, the qual- the positive qualities, I'm so glad you, you mentioned social interaction for everybody. And it's the humanizing impact that having an environment that's truly all ages and abilities and mixes people out there in that environment, it's so incredibly powerful. I mean, from my background in human behavior and behavior change, you are able to sort of develop brain patterns that help establish habits when you get that positive feedback after uh, going out and experiencing, you know, a, a positive interaction. You, you know, you get that reinforcement of habit formation because of the positiveness of it. And a big part of that is, you know, the, that social uh, dynamic and social uh, part of it. So I, absolutely beautiful. And that's something you're really interested in. Yes, <laughs> indeed, indeed. For me, it's um, I'm I'm really interested. Of course, yeah. I mean, we talk about the the cycle lane and whether it's a fast lane or not, and all these images of of infrastructure. But in the end, I'm mostly interested in uh, the relationship between humans and these infrastructures and. What does this tell us about humans, or what, how can humans change things, for the, you know, for in in ways that yeah make things better for them? So uh, this is a snapshot of my uh, personal website uh, that I started to to create because I I wanted to create this. I think this was also an empowerment. Uh, action you know to create my own space on the web because sometimes you write a blog post and then this website gets changed and they've taken it off or etc etc so um i'm collecting there yeah a number of articles and videos etc that i was involved in over the years and it's not it's not the it's work in progress let's put it that way but it does tell your story a little bit, including in, at 22 is when you started that voluntary uh, position. And, uh, and, and, and I, I love this, uh, Angela, I, that you are, that you're working on this and you're doing this. And I think it just doesn't get talked about enough is that social side of, of cycling. And I love the fact that your journey took you around from doing some voluntary work, helping empower and inspire uh, and teach other women how to ride. And then following that up with, you know, the passion of riding socially with friends and then, you know, to, to the point where you're, you're now at as with your career at MobiCon, Uh, talk a little bit, a brief moment to explain to folks who MobiCon is. It's a familiar, familiar name because I've had uh, multiple (laughs) MobiCon uh, professionals uh, on the the podcast before, uh, as well as I've uh, joint produced a video in Boulder with Zach Vanderkoy uh, with MobiCon. But uh, why don't you just give a quick little overview of this very uh, fantastic and amazing organization? <laughs> I'm not oh. biased at all. <laughs> I, I'm sure you, you can do a better pitch uh, than I can. We like it when other people uh, talk about <laughs> us, right? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so we're a consulting firm that aims to to make the world less dependent on the car and we want to help uh, cities in the Netherlands and around the world to achieve that with you know helping to develop mobility plans or cycling plans doing cycling uh, designs reviewing designs giving trainings yeah doing projects uh, there is a lot of information on our website and we have an amazing Mobicon Academy for the people who really like to learn things uh, online. And it's it's a great place to work, yeah. Yeah, it's a great place to work, yeah, yeah. This has been so much fun. Thank you so very much. Is there anything that we haven't covered that you wanna make sure we touch upon before we say goodbye? Well, if you're if you ever around uh, Tilburg, let me know. I'll I'll make sure. Um, also for the listeners, I make sure I give you some advice on what to look out for. 
Fantastic. Yes. And I'm kicking myself. I was telling you that before we hit record that I didn't make it there. I was so close. <laughs> Next time. Yeah. Next time. Maybe one yeah. day or maybe we create yes. a virtual study tour in the field. Uh, in yeah, our academy. that'd be fun. Yes, absolutely. Well, again, it's on Angela, the list. Yes. Angela, thank you so very much. It's been an absolute joy and pleasure having you on the Active Towns podcast. Thank you, John. It's a pleasure to join. Hey, thank you all so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, please give it a thumbs up. <laughs> Leave a comment down below and share it with a friend. And if you haven't done so already, it'd be honored to have you subscribe to the channel. Just click on that subscription button down below. Hey, and if you are enjoying this content on the Active Towns channel, please consider supporting my efforts out on Patreon, uh, buy me a coffee, and also in the Active Town store where you can get your own uh, streets are for people swag, like this cool water bottle. <laughs> t-shirts and all that other good stuff. Coffee mugs. Uh, again, thank you all so much for tuning in. Uh, I can't tell you how much it means to me and it really does help support the efforts uh, to try to create more active towns, more people-oriented places that are welcoming to all ages and abilities. Until next time, this is John signing off by wishing you much activity, health, and happiness. Cheers. And again, sending a huge thank you out to all my Active Towns ambassadors supporting the channel on Patreon, Buy Me A Coffee, YouTube Super Thanks, as well as making contributions to the nonprofit and purchasing things from the Active Towns store. Every little bit adds up and it's much appreciated. Thank you all so much.